weeks left counting this week. We've been all the way through it. I've I've enjoyed it. I've liked it. Of course, I'm a I'm a church history geek. So when I get to go back and pull something out of 140 A.D., it makes me happy. Um, uh, we're going to cover a passage today talking about the forgiveness of sin. That uh, uh, y'all, there's got to be six or seven sermons just in this passage. Um, I'm only going to preach one. I promise. Uh, we're we're going to talk about probably one of the more confusing things, at least at the time that Jesus did. Jesus did a lot of things that would have confused the people watching him, but particularly this one confused quite a large crowd for a minute, and I know still confuses me when I read it sometimes. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12, and while you're flipping there, we're going to have story time. Uh, this is a book... I, I promise I did not plan the sermon holding this book. I finished the sermon and then said, my goodness, this is perfect. Um, Margaret's pediatrician gave her this book. It's a book by Max Lucado called You Are Special. It's a little board book. Uh, it's, it's a great book. It's apparently also delicious, as you can see by some of the teeth marks that are, that are on this thing. Uh, but I've... Uh, Initially, I was kind of creeped out by the art in it because it has a very unique style. But then the more and more I read it to her because she'd crawl up to you and say, boop, and bring it to you and you have to read it. The more and more I read it, the more and more I appreciated um, what was in it. So we're going to have story time. And imagine creepily drawn puppets as you're hearing this because that's what's in here. The Wemmicks were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes, some were tall, and others were short. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and gray dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones got stars. Wemmicks with rough wood or chipped paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. So the Wemmicks would give him dots. When he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly. So the Wemmicks would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I guess I'm not a good Wemmick, he decided. So he stayed inside most of the time. When he did go outside, he hung around other women who had lots of dots because he felt better about them. We're going to pause the story there and come back to this later. And we're going to talk about the forgiveness of sin. So if you will stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to read chapter 2 in the book of Mark, verses 1 through 12. And he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let the bed down on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, 
Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father, I pray that for those that are here today, either that have sinned but struggle to believe that it can be forgiven, or that have sinned but don't think they have it, and so they don't think they need to be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would prove to both of those individuals that they have sinned and that you can't wait to forgive it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. The forgiveness of sin. Y'all, this is a core Christian doctrine uh, that we get, we can get ourselves in trouble if we focus on you're all sinners, 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 and we never talk about the fact that your sin can be forgiven. In fact, the whole point of this book is called redemptive history, that the Bible is redemptive history. The Bible does two things. It's God's self-revelation of Himself. We would not know God if it were not for this book. This is the way He has revealed Himself to us. And then second, that it tells the story of the workings of God in the history of humanity to take us in our fallen state and bring us back into relationship with Him. And for that to happen, there must be forgiveness of sin. Well, in this particular passage, we're going to see a few truths about sin and about how it gets forgiven. So first, I want us to see that sin is worse than physical health problems. Look at verses 1 through 5. That you've got this group of all-stars that are going to help one of their friends out. But let's set the stage a little bit. That we hear in verse 1 that Jesus enters Capernaum after a few days... And as soon as it was heard that he was in the house, immediately so many people gathered together that there wasn't any room to get in the house anymore. In fact, you couldn't even stand in the door. One of the, if you read the book of Mark, one of the hallmarks of the book of Mark is that he likes to use the word immediately. If, if John is Ernest Hemingway, then Mark is a comic book. That there's lots of immediately, there's lots of hard-hitting, quick, that you see things in quick, frame by frame, that you don't get the long, descriptive things that you hear in Luke. You don't get the, the artistry necessarily that you see in John. You don't get the, the long chunks of dialogue that you get in Matthew. In Mark, you get here's what happened, here's how it happened, boom, next scene. That's the way Mark is all day long. But in this case, immediately means a little bit more because this means as soon as people figured out that Jesus was in town, the house got descended upon by, by folks almost like locusts to a field. 
that there's no room left in the house. You couldn't even stand in the door. And Jesus is preaching. It's his preaching that drew the crowd. So he preach, he's preaching the word to them. They're, they're drawn into the house. There's no room, not even in the door. And then these guys show up. There's four of them with their friend. And they bring their friend to the house because he was a paralytic. He had apparently been a paralytic for quite some time. And they couldn't get to Jesus. There were too many people there. Now y'all, personally, I would love it if we were in here preaching the gospel and folks couldn't fit in the building because they were crammed out the door. That would be awesome. And if that happened, I would be okay, though I would also be making a plea for the building fund to be given to if some folks opened up the roof to let somebody else in. We got a back door. We, we, got a back door. we will take care of it. But these guys get to the house and they could have seen everybody and said, oh well, I guess we'll do it some other time. And they said, no, Jesus is here. Now is our shot. We don't know if we're going to have another opportunity. We are getting you in this house. It's not their house, but they get him up there. Before we even talk about them taking off the roof, let's talk about the fact that they got a paralyzed, full-grown man up on the roof of somebody's house. Okay? So they get him up there. These guys, he had to be college students. This had to happen that way. He gets the guy, they get the guy up on the roof of the house. And then, if you can imagine, Jesus is preaching. And Jesus, being God, obviously knows what's going on. So he's just going to keep going. But everybody else, you, you, you start to hear tick, 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 above you. And then finally stuff starts falling. And next thing you know, there's a hole in the roof. And this paralyzed man is being lowered down. They didn't care what part of the sermon it was in. They just knew we're getting him here. So they lower him down. And they broke through the roof. And they lower down the bed which the paralytic's laying. And Jesus is, this is, this is Jesus. This is our Jesus. He's thrilled. He's made so happy by this. that he, He's not worried about his sermon being interrupted. Somebody came to see him. So he's, he's happy. So he sees their faith. And by the way, that's what this was. The reason that they brought this man to Jesus was because they knew Jesus was his only hope. So he sees their faith, understands that they believe this about him, not just the paralytic, but also his friends. And Jesus says, your paralysis is healed. Check your Bibles. Is that what Jesus said? No. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus looks at the paralytic who had come to be healed of what? Paralysis. He looks at the paralytic and says nothing about his paralysis. He looks at him and says, Your sins are forgiven. Now, if you stop and think about this, we can get desensitized. Have you ever found that you get desensitized to the Bible sometimes? Maybe that you go over a passage and you've read it so many times that you go, oh, I know what's about to happen. The friends are about to let, the, let this guy down and then Jesus heals him. 
Yes, that's all true. But you can't leave out the middle part and you can't leave out the first impression it would have made that all of his friends brought this guy expecting Jesus to heal him of his paralysis. And the first thing Jesus is concerned about is not his body, he's concerned about his soul. Physical ailments are more pressing issues in our eyes than spiritual ailments. That we don't think about sin nearly as much as we think about sickness. Why is that, do you think? I think it's because you can see it. You say, well, I can see sin. Well, No, you can see someone's sin. You cannot see someone's sin. We see outward appearances. We do not see people's hearts. We do not see their standing before God. And so what these four friends saw in their buddy that they brought to Jesus, they saw his inability to walk. They saw his paralysis. But when that roof opened up and they lowered him down, Jesus saw that too. But Jesus, this entire passage is in the business of perceiving men's hearts. So rather than addressing his paralysis first, he puts the emphasis where it ought to be. He puts it on the man's soul. That we perceive sickness as the bigger deal. Jesus perceives sin as the bigger deal. And of course he's right. He's looking at sin from the point of view of eternity. 10,000 years from now, it's not going to matter to you that your back hurts right now. It will either be healed in glory or it will be the least of your worries in hell. 10,000 years from now, it's not going to matter that you got back pain today. It's going to matter what shape your soul is in. That's what's going to matter. So Jesus is looking at things from that point of view. He's looking at things from an eternal point of view, not our temporal view. Um, Augustine said this in his book, The City of God, and I'm going to read the exact quote. Uh, He said, Of this at least I am certain, that no one has ever died who was not destined to die sometime. Now the end of life puts the longest life on a par with the shortest. For of two things which have alike ceased to be, the one is not better, the other worse, the one greater, the other less. And of what consequence is it, what kind of death puts an end to life, since he who has died is not forced to go through the same ordeal a second time? They then, who are destined to die, need not be careful to inquire what death they are to die, but into what place death will usher them. Everybody in here, if the Lord tarries, is destined to die. Do you know that? All of us. It doesn't matter if you go from the oldest person in this building to the youngest person in this building. And I got a vested interest in all of them. I'm the pastor of the oldest and the daddy of the youngest. So I'm, I, I, got, I got a dog in that. I got both dogs in that fight. Okay? Do you know that if the Lord tarries 10,000 years from now, there will physically be no difference between those two people? None. 
that everybody in here is destined to die. If you die young, you still die. If you die old, you still die. That you may accumulate more physical ailments as time goes on, but when you die, the physical ailments are over. That's it. What's not going to end is the state of your soul. There are horrific things that can happen to a person in this life. Traffic accidents, terminal illnesses, acts of violence, destructive weather. We've seen all of them this week. I was told this morning about somebody who died in a traffic accident. So literally all of these we've seen this week. And these dominate our thinking because we see them with our eyes. Kind of like poor little Punchinello with his dots here. They're visible. And the reason this book is so neat for kids to read is once they understand it is it puts sin in a position where you can see imperfections as the little dots on people. But we're not fortunate enough to have dots. We can take a shower and wash ourselves and we can look and present ourselves as clean, but if you could see our soul, we'd be covered in dots. That we are sin sick and spiritually dead, but you can't see it. So take Jesus' perspective on this and begin to think of sin as a more pressing concern than physical ailments. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Why? Because they can't, they can't touch your soul. They can only hurt your body, which is temporal, and it's going to die anyway at some point. Jesus says, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, what is it that sends people to hell? Sin. Sin sends people to hell. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That second part is the most important, but we're not talking about it yet. We're talking about the reason that we need a gift of eternal life. It's because the wages of sin is death. No physical ailment is ever going to be as dangerous as the sin that is the root cause of every human body since creation breaking down. Sin, as long as we allow it to be ignored or minimized, physical well-being and enjoyment will dominate our attention. So how how do we apply this? If you're a skeptic, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you that that you have sin and that it's a big issue. And we're going to tell you how you can escape the penalty of that this morning. But if you're a Christian, what might you be able to do in in light of this? On Wednesday nights when we get together and we pray, which by the way, all y'all, come pray Wednesday night. Please. Please come pray Wednesday nights. Um... We've been going through various prayers in Scripture, and there's always one question on my handout that I give. Is this request, is this prayer spiritual in nature or physical in nature? Nine times out of ten, what is the answer, Wednesday night crowd? 
spiritual. When you look at the prayers in the Bible, nine times out of ten, the people praying are praying for spiritual issues. God opened their eyes to this sin. God opened their eyes to you. And yet when we get together, what dominates our prayers? The physical. Please heal Joe's toe. He's got gout. That's on the mild side. By the way, gout is horrible. I'm sorry if any of you have gout. I'm not picking on gout. But the physical is important. But even when Jesus was about to die on the cross, He's praying for the spiritual needs of His disciples. So when we get together and pray, what ought we be praying more for? Physical needs or spiritual needs? Spiritual. Because the body is eventually going to go away. The soul, however, is not. So sin is a bigger deal than physical health problems. Second, I want us to see that sin is something only God can forgive. Brace yourselves. You're about to hit a a, a portion of Scripture where the scribes are partially right. (laughs) It's very rare, but it does happen. Verse 6. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? That's not the part that they're right about. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That is the part that they're right about. The scribes hear Jesus tell the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And they immediately start doing theology in their heads. They go into academic mode and they think, wait a minute. This guy just forgave his sin. Well, let's think about sin and the way it works. Psalm chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Psalms 5, 3 and 4. Read this. This is on your handout. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against who? You. Anybody else? No, he says, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Psalm 119.11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. The primary offended party in any, each, and every sin is God. It's not the other person that you did it to. Yes, you sinned against them, but primarily the person you sinned against, I sinned against, we sinned against, anybody who's ever sinned has sinned against, is always God. Sin is a violation of His character. So if I sin against Miss Peggy, yeah, Miss Peggy can forgive me. If I sin against... Uh, Miss Linda, Miss Linda can forgive me. If I sin against Miss Helen, Miss Helen can forgive me. But guess who Miss Peggy, Miss Linda, and Miss Helen are not? They're not God. So they can't forgive me on God's behalf, can they? No. So it doesn't matter who else forgives you. If God doesn't. 
So that's why the scribes are saying, this guy can't forgive his sin. He's not God. Well, about that. Have you ever, have you ever turned on your television and, and seen one of those class action lawsuits commercials? That's telling you, hey, if you ever used so-and-so medicine between so-and-so and so-and-so, you are part of a class action lawsuit. And you're like, oh, joy, I'll sign on and get 37 cents six months from now. And the lawyers will make 15 million each. <laughs> um, you know, to participate in a court case, you have to have what's called standing. Something must have actually happened to you. So what these scribes, what these lawyers are looking at Jesus and they're saying, you don't have any standing to forgive this, Jesus. For you to forgive sin on the behalf of God, well, you'd have to be God. So they instantly assume this man is not God. Therefore, since only God can forgive sin and he's claiming to forgive sin, he's claiming to be who, church? God. So the next time somebody tells you, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Mark chapter 2. He sure did. And everybody understood it that way. The most educated people in the Jewish religion heard Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven, and automatically understood that as a claim to be God. That's why they accused him of blasphemy. That's why they thought he was blaspheming. Because they thought he was claiming to be God when he wasn't. That's the irony is that they were partly right. That they were correct when they said only God can forgive sins. It really puts the seriousness of sin in perspective when you understand that not only is your sin serious, it's a serious sin primarily against God. And it doesn't matter who else forgives you if you don't have God's forgiveness. Because remember, don't fear him who can destroy the body alone, but fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. That would be God. Which makes your sin super serious. And Psalm 32 says that God's the one that forgives it. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit in, in, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That one's a tongue twister. <clears throat> that for, for sin to be really honestly forgiven, it has to be forgiven by God. And listen to me, church. God sets the terms of forgiveness. Think about, think about it from a human perspective. When you do something wrong to someone else, do you get to determine when you're on good terms with them again? No. No, you don't. That's silly. And it's also insulting. That if you were to steal from somebody... And then you turn around and you bring it back to them. And they tell you, I don't want you coming around my, my tool shed out back anymore. And you said, well, that's stupid. You're a horrible person. I brought your stuff back. Everything's okay now. 
No, it's not. I don't trust you. You stole from me. Well, you need to get over that. That's not up to you. It's up to that person. They get to set the terms. If our sin has been against God, God sets the terms of forgiveness. This is why it doesn't make sense when somebody says, well, I'm just going to try my best and hope that it's good enough when I stand in front of him. No. God set the terms and he told you exactly what they are. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to be in the presence of God joyfully and comfortably for eternity, you don't get to set the rules. I don't get to set the rules for how we get there. God has provided a way for your sin to be forgiven, but that's the only way. His name is Jesus. Which brings us to our third point, that sin is more serious than physical health problems. It's something only God can forgive But sin is also something Jesus can forgive because he's God. So you look at verse 8. The scribes have just... Now, now, FYI, we hear what the scribes said because it's recorded for us in Scripture. Nobody there that day heard the scribes say, what are these blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God? There was one person who could hear those scribes thinking that. Jesus. Now, almost as if to tell you ahead of time, because really this is the second chapter of Mark, okay? Not much really has happened. Unless you count, uh, I guess in chapter 1, uh, the, the fact that a dove descended on Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in, in the form of a dove. Jesus cast it out on an unclean spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Many healed after a Sabbath sunset. And Jesus cleansed the leper. So not much has happened in the first chapter of Mark. But here we are in chapter 2, and Mark is letting us know, hey, Jesus is reading people's hearts. He's hearing what they're thinking in, in, in their mind when they're not speaking it out loud. Now, do you know anybody else who can do that? I hope not. And yet, here we have Jesus doing it. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Cue all the hair on the back of the scribe's neck standing up when they realize that Jesus knows what's in their heads. This is when you sit down and hush if you're a scribe at that point. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Now, this is the reason I brought you are special. Okay? So, you've got our little boy, Punchinello, who's covered, you you probably can't see him, he's covered in these little dot stickers. Now, if these dots were sin, and you said your sins are forgiven you, then the, the dots would fall off. Right? You'd be clean. You could see that. You could see the dots fall off. And that's actually what happens in the rest of the book. Uh, that one day he met a different kind of women named Lucia. She had no dots or stars. The women admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, asked Punchinello, so he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go visit Eli the woodcarver. Why? You'll find out if you go see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. 
But will he want to see me? Punchinello wondered. Later at home, he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. Punchinello walked up to the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big, the stool was as tall as he was, and he had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come up here and have, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course I do. I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. And Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I'm not very talented. My paint's peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. And Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she's decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it'll take time. For now, come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinello was leaving, you're special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. The dots are interesting because you can see them. But as soon as Punchinello realizes the one who made me can tell me that my dots can come off and as soon as he realized it, whoop, off goes a dot. The scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders, they couldn't see dots. So when Jesus says your sin's forgiven, they cross their hands and go, huh, of course he can say your sins are forgiven. But we all know they're not because we can't see sin. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. That's why Jesus says, what's it easier to say? Is it easy for me to say your sins are forgiven? Of course it is. I can say your sins are forgiven and it doesn't make any difference if I don't have the authority to because you can't see whether or not I'm lying. But what if I raise the stakes a little bit? What if instead of saying your sins are forgiven, what if I say, I don't know, Paralyzed man, take up your bed and walk out. Walk to the house. What if I said that? Can any of y'all do that? So Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, just so y'all know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go home. Now, you can't see the dots fall off when Jesus says your sins are forgiven. But everybody could see the paralyzed man walk. So Jesus ties the two together and says, if I have the authority and the power to make a paralyzed man get up and walk, 
What else might I have the power and authority to do? Forgive sin. And if Jesus has the power to forgive sin, who does that make him? God. So listen to me, church. Listen to me, little wooden people covered in dots. Do you ever look in the mirror some, some mornings and just feel like you can see the dots? Do you ever have those days? Where if you're really honest with yourself, you know nobody else can see them. But it's almost like you can look and you can say, I, I, know, I know what that dot's from. I know what that dot's from. I know where that one came from. That's something I did. That's something somebody did to me. That's something that I said. That's something that I think about myself. That's the reason nobody wants anything to do with me. That's the reason they wouldn't want me in that church. That's the reason they wouldn't want me uh, in that group of friends. That's the reason they wouldn't. That's the reason. That's the reason God wouldn't want me. And you can't hardly see your skin because you're so covered in dots. Here's the good news. The maker still speaks strongly and deeply and says, I can take your dots away. He has the power to forgive sin. That Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. Acts chapter 2 verses 36 through 38. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't just for them. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. If you're sitting here today... If you know you've got sin, but you don't know what to do about it, come to Jesus. He will forgive it today. You can leave here today perfectly clean. With not a black mark by your name. If you're here today and you don't think you have anything to be forgiven of, you do. You do. And Jesus is there to forgive it. All you have to do is come to Christ and become one of His and your sins are gone. <clears throat> I mean, gone. He separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west is what Scripture says. And you know what's really funny? If you look at a compass, it doesn't matter how close you happen to be. East and west never touch. They're totally different. They're totally opposite directions. East can never be west. West can never be east. When you come to Christ, your sins are so far separated from you that they cannot ever be part of you again. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Y'all listen to me. I... We are, it is a huge temptation for us as Christians to fall into the trap 
of despair. The way you fall into despair is you read the parts of the Bible that tell you about your sin, but you don't read the parts of the Bible that remind you it can be forgiven, that in Christ it is forgiven. That you beat yourself up and 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 you beat yourself up up until you feel like there's no hope for you. That this is over. This is done. I've screwed up too bad. And you hope. Well, you don't hope. That's the problem. Meanwhile, Jesus is there and has been there the whole time saying, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. That Jesus lives forever to make intercession for you if you will come to Him. That your sin can be gone. It can be erased. Not just merely covered up, but it can be tossed out forever. Blotted out of the book. That Christianity is not a religion for good people. Christianity is a religion full of bad people who have been forgiven by a good God who shed the blood of His Son so that He could do it. And if you think this building's full of good people, you found the wrong church. We are not good people. We're saved people, yes. I love it when I get help from the crowd. We're saved people. But do you know what? I got told a long time ago, uh, Joyce, Jim, y'all want to come on up here for the invitation. One of my pastoral mentors told me a long time ago, he said, Josh, always remember this when you're preaching. Can't nobody get saved before they get lost. But if you're out here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, listen to me. I don't care if you have a good reputation. I don't care if people think you got everything in order. One of my pet peeves just in church in general, not this church, not as a pastor, but just in the church is we as Christians do a real bad job. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. Oh, things are going great. Meanwhile, the the kids have lost their shoes. Something burned in the kitchen this morning. You couldn't find your keys, so you were late to church. And you, you, you got family issues. You got work issues. You got financial issues. You got friend issues. But we smile and say everything's fine. Very rarely is everything fine. Y'all don't fake it. I know of at least one church this week that one of the deacons got saved. Told his pastor I've been faking it for 40 years. And no amount of reputation in this church is worth my soul burning in hell. Anybody. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Let your sins be forgiven. He's there. Open arms. He's waiting on you. Jim and Joyce are going to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. 
If you need to talk to me about coming to Christ, you've got a few different ways you can respond. You can come down this aisle let me know, Pastor, I need to talk to you. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin and put it in the offering plate when it comes by. You can catch me at the back door, but don't leave without coming to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Because let me tell you something, the very next parts of the creed, I'll go through the end of it. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If you want the next two, you better make this stop first. No forgiveness of sins, no resurrection of the body, no life everlasting. Come to Christ. I'm going to pray. If you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for being there to wash us clean, to give us hope, to give us life. Lord, I pray that you would um, draw all of us to you for forgiveness today. Those of us who already know you, just to repent of our sin, as we should do daily. Um, Lord, to, to revel in the fact that we have a Christ who has forgiven us of sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself by the Holy Spirit to be washed and forgiven for that first and eternal time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.